Galatians chapter 1. Thanks for being here this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, we just thank you for the opportunity it is to come and to worship you. Well, thank you for this place that you gave us to do it in. Thank you for the people that you've gathered together to worship you today. So God, I pray that you would just turn our hearts to you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and move, remove distractions, remove things that would hinder us from hearing from you. God, we absolutely are desperate in need of you. God, help us to sense it and to know it. Lord, I just want to lift up those who right now in our country uh, have the, the hurricane coming through, God, the churches and the Christians who are out there. God, I pray that you would just raise them up to be a blessing in the East Coast. I pray that you would protect people even today. Lord, I just thank you for all the college students at our church that have gone off to school and are leaving this week. But God, I pray that you would be with their parents who are left home. I pray that you would just encourage them, lift them up, give them your grace and strength as they adjust to the changes. Lord, Holy Spirit, I pray we would see Jesus high and lifted up. I pray that the gospel would be center and core in our church. We would love you more. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. November 27, 1997, Kathleen Corona. She got up, was all excited about her day to go watch the Macy's Day Thanksgiving parade. So she went out to watch it, was enjoying the parade. And all of a sudden, a six-story, cat-in-a-hat, helium-filled balloon came down the street and got tangled up by its ropes in a light post and snapped off, hit her in the head, and she spent 24 days in a coma. And through that, she ended up surviving, but she ended up suing the city of New York and Macy's for $395 million. And they settled for an undisclosed amount. We started our series in Galatians last week, and the book of Galatians is all about the gospel. And I said the last week, the gospel is like helium. It wants to be lifted, and it wants to go, and it wants to soar. But when it gets tangled with anything, when it gets tangled with anything, it is costly and an unbelievable tragedy. And as a church, and as a people of God, we cannot allow that to take place. And that was what Paul was addressing In the book of Galatians, I'm going to read Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. It says this, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us From the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? 
Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Last week we said that Paul was writing to the churches of Galatia. And he's writing out of not anger necessarily at them because he loves this church. He is in great love for this church because this is not an easy letter to write. But this whole time he writes this, it's all about making sure the gospel stays at the center. Because the gospel must be the core of your life and our church. The gospel must. That's a big word. But it means teenagers. The gospel must be the core of your lives. College students, the gospel must be the core of your lives. Mom and dad, the gospel must be the core of your life. Widows, widowers, singles, the gospel must be the core of your life and our church as the people of God. When the gospel is the core, then limitless, courageous freedom is to be found. Then why was it, must it be the core? It must be the core because all that God did, all that God's doing is centered on that one thing. That's what God is about. It's the gospel. It has to be the core of our lives. Just spend much time this week at all thinking of how the gospel is to be worked out in your life. The gospel must be the core for us. And that's what Paul was saying to the church at Galatians because it was about ready to not be the core. It was about ready to go so away that they completely lost it. And here's the situation as we untangle the book of Galatians because we're listening to somebody write a letter back about a situation going on that we don't know a lot about, but through reading what he says in response to the situation, we kind of can figure out what's going on with the churches of Galatia. And what had happened was people had come in, these Jews who had said, you know what, the Apostle Paul, he's not really an apostle, first of all. He made up his own message, and he got his message from a group of people who were in Jerusalem, and they told them what the gospel was, but then Paul kind of went rogue, and he kind of did his own thing. He's kind of the Jason Bourne of the gospel. He just kind of took off, and he's changing things around now. And they said, don't follow him. That's not right, because what you need to do is you need to know Jesus, love Jesus, and for them the issue was you need to be circumcised. If you love Jesus and are circumcised, then you have faith. If you don't, you're, you're listening to a guy who's teaching you a false gospel. And so Paul, the first chapter and a half of Galatians, is saying, no. And he gives this autobiography of what's going on and why he really is an apostle of Jesus Christ, why he really is who Christ is that chose him to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And he's defending himself. And in verse 6, he says this right at the beginning. He says, I am astonished. He's absolutely shocked that this group of people who he spent his time with, who he poured out his heart with, who he would love to be with, because it says in uh, chapter 4, verse 20, he, he wishes he didn't have to write this letter this way. He wishes that he was there with them face to face and could talk to them. He feels, he says, like he's in childbirth with this group of people and he's poured out his soul to them in giving the gospel. And now he's shocked that they would start to abandon the gospel and to desert 
the gospel and turn away from it. He says this, I am astonished that you are doing this so quickly. I was just, it wasn't that long ago I was there. You all received it. You received Jesus. You knew who I was. You knew who he was. And now, because people have come in, you're about ready to abandon the faith. You're about ready to abandon the core of everything you're supposed to be about. He's just shocked by it. And he says this, and he says this for us. Don't follow a different gospel. Don't follow a different gospel because there, there is no other gospel. If you add anything to the gospel, it is no longer gospel. He doesn't exactly say in these verses what the gospel is because he spends the whole rest of the book of Galatians explaining to them what the gospel is. But what he does say to them is there is one gospel and one gospel only and you better get that one gospel right and it better be the core of your life. Because if you don't have this one gospel right, you're not of God. You're not of faith. And there's a curse on you and those who teach that kind of gospel. Here's the problem in 2011 with the book of Galatians and churches and us understanding this book. The problem is that when we read this, this idea that there is a wrong gospel, there's been such a mess up and such a mix of what really is gospel. That when churches and people, when we read this today, it doesn't cause much of a stir because we don't really have a clue. And churches have lost what it really means to be centered on the core of the gospel. And everything has become about gospel and church. And so all kinds of things have been added to church and all added to what the gospel is. And it's just been watered down. It just doesn't cause any stir whatsoever at the idea that we may have lost the gospel. Martin Luther loved the book of Galatians. And he said it was his wife because he was in a situation where he knew there needed to be reform and a call back to what the real gospel is. Because the gospel is not just about how you enter faith. It is not just about how you enter faith, how you're justified before God. The gospel is also how you are sanctified, how you live the Christian life. And when you add anything to those two things, how you become a person of faith, and then how you live out that gospel faith. If you add anything to it that is not gospel, it's not the gospel. And there's a curse on you, on, on you if you pass that gospel out. All kinds of things have become other gospels in churches. Why is that? And people just accept it. Because there's, you know, there's, there's people... So there's churches all over the place that are supposed to be preaching the gospel, and they've they got people there. They've got some pleasure. They've got some good things going on, so it's kind of fun. There's some profit to it, so they feel good when they leave, and so they feel like, you know, it was about Jesus, and so it had some kind of religious thing to it, so it must have been good, and it must have been gospel. And, hey, it even got, has some problems, you know? So if it's got some uh, people in it, if it's got some pleasure to it, if there's a little profit to it, and, of course, you got people involved, so there'll be problems. So there's just, that's gospel church. Church, church is the way, that's the way it's supposed to be, and it's all good. Paul says, no, there is a right gospel that we must follow and make it the core, and there is a wrong gospel that we cannot follow that will send us away. And this church was at this point of, in the process of starting to go the wrong gospel, and the rest of the book of Galatians, as we study, we'll be looking at what this gospel is. 
But what Paul says at the beginning is don't follow a different gospel. Cornerstone, we can't follow a different gospel. We better figure out what it is. If you've spent zero time this week trying to figure out, is my Christian life matching up to the power of the gospel? Am I living out the power of the gospel in my life? If that thought never crosses your mind, never makes you think this way, then are you really sure you know what the gospel is? Because this church at Galatia was people who Paul had just been there not too long ago. He was stunned by how quickly they had abandoned the gospel. How is that possible? How is it that people who had the gospel and even know the gospel, he doesn't say that they are not people of faith. He's saying, you are people of faith. Why are you about to abandon that and start teaching something that's not gospel? Why would you do that? And how did it happen so quickly? Well, it happened because people came in. People came in, these agitators, Paul calls them. In verse 7, people who trouble you. They started to trouble you. They, they came in with their own agenda. And so people came in. And they came in with this agenda that they wanted to be approved. They were Jews. And they wanted, Judaism was the, the trump card in that day. And they wanted to bl blend Judaism with Jesus. And Paul says, you can't do that. That's not the gospel. But they came in quickly, which means they must have been pretty charismatic. They must have had a lot of charm. Because if they would have come in with some sneak, uh, just rudeness and harshness, the people probably would not have bought it. And it was also extremely demonic because it was against the gospel. And we as a church must be careful that we don't follow a different gospel. Because I am astonished that you are so quickly turned from the gospel. And we will spend the rest of this fall studying as a church what the gospel is. How does it have implications for how we become believers and how we live as believers? So if we add anything to that, this is what Paul says, you'll be accursed. If I preach it, or if an angel preaches it, or anybody preaches anything that is not the gospel that I gave you, there's a curse on him. Which means Paul said these people who came in to trouble them, this was the Curse of eternal judgment. He said these people are not believers. They may say they love Jesus. They may talk about Jesus all day long. But if they've added anything to Jesus plus anything, it's not gospel. And they're going to spend eternity in hell. Don't go that road. We need to be very clear on what the gospel is. And he says it twice. What happens when that takes place? What happens when a church or a people of God make the gospel not the core of their life? What happens is, you see, the gospel is like a helium balloon. It wants to soar and it wants to fly away. But when we tie it down with anything, tie it down where it uh, causes lampstands to knock over, it, it hurts people. And when churches take Jesus and they add other things to it that's not gospel, for a while it looks good. And it attracts people. And people get attracted to it. And then all of a sudden, when it follows its way through, all of a sudden there's a lot of people who are confused in their faith. Because what they were told about the gospel and how it's supposed to have its power in their life, and some of you have experienced this, 
You were told that if you followed the gospel this way, you did all these things, then God's going to just dump blessing on you. He's like a genie in the bottle. But your experience has been, that's not my experience. And you have been confused and you've been frustrated. And then people pass that on to another generation and then they are then just baffled by it and they can't figure out, why would I want that? And instead of the helium balloon of the gospel floating around freely, you have a bunch of people in churches with balloons in their hands running, hoping they'll fly. You ever seen a little kid do that? He's at a circus and there's all these helium balloons around and he's watching them soar right away and then he gets a balloon that's not filled with helium. But he's thinking, that balloon flies up in the air, so my balloon should fly up in the air. And so he's running around trying to get his balloon to go up in in helium. That's what happens when a church or people take the gospel and make it not what it's supposed to be. And the world looks at that, and they see church after church and church and church, people, 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 all over the place running around with balloons with no helium. And the people learn them saying, hey, you've got to do this. Join with this. Grab this gospel balloon. And they're looking at it like there's no impact on your life. It's not helping you in any way. Why would I want to carry that balloon around? That's ridiculous. It's absurd. That's why we as a church and the people of God must make the gospel the core and learn what that is and not mistake it for something else. But then this is what Paul says. That's a pretty solid message. The gospel is a story. It is a news event. It's something that took place in history. Jesus was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died at the age of 33 on the cross for our sins, was dead for three days, rose again. And that is the power of God. It's a news event that Paul would not have been a part of on his own. He was talking about news. The gospel is a message of news. It's not good feelings. It's not a pull-yourself-up-by-the-bootstraps story. I was watching 2020 this week, and they had all these kids who've been kicked out by their families, and they've been abandoned by their families, and they followed like six of them through their life and as, for months. At the end of it, they showed, you know, how are they doing now? And one of the kids, he's just doing great. You know, he's picked himself up by the bootstraps, and he's doing well. He's moral, and he's upright, and he's going to college. And a lot of churches, we could say, that's gospel. Hey, treat your wife right. Treat your kids nice. Make sure they look good. Be kind to each other. That's not the power of the gospel. The gospel is Jesus Christ coming in, breaking into a life. Because people are made Listen, in the image of God, humanity has unbelievable abilities to pick itself up by the bootstraps and clean itself up. And those are great and good things, but the gospel says we need to tell the story of history that we are all sinners and a man named Jesus, the God of the universe, broke in and changed everything so we could be transformed from the inside out. The gospel must be the core of our lives. And he says over and over again twice, don't mess it up. There's a curse on you and on those who teach that. Why is that so important? Why does the gospel have to be the core? Because when you get the gospel at the core, when we as a church and as the people of God have the gospel as the core, it will bring unbelievable, limitless freedom and courage. That's what Paul said. At the end of verse 10 there, he says this. 
for, or therefore, after saying all this, after I just got done telling you, church, don't mess the gospel up. Don't add anything to the gospel. Don't be legalist. It's not Jesus plus anything else. It's Jesus alone. It's the gospel. Don't add to that. After me just getting done telling you that, and that there's a curse on you, that there's one way to God, do you think I would be saying that message if I was trying to find the approval of people? No. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Gospel people need to have courage. And there's a great lack of courage in our culture, even in just being called grandma and grandpa. There's a huge lack of courage there. There was an article in the paper last week about he's Puggles, she's Big Mama. And it's talking about all these grandmas and grandpas who are part of, they said, the baby boomer generation. It says this, apparently, the baby boomer generation is a generation of grown-up teenagers who can't get over themselves. And so they don't even have their, own, their courage to let themselves be called grandma and grandpa. It's just they have to make up these crazy names. And there's a website called grandparents.com. And if you, if you don't have the courage to go with the traditional grandma and grandpa, you can call yourself Mimi and Mimi, Big Mama, Bigger Mama, Another Mother, Geezer Girl, Godfathers, Papa, Papa Daddy, Mellow Man Puggles, Grin Diddy, and Geezer Guy. These are real names that this baby boomer generation doesn't have the courage to say, you know what, we're getting old, and we are getting older, and another generation's coming up, and we don't want to face that. We have no courage. If that's the case of just grandma and grandpa, imagine how difficult it is at times to stand up for the gospel and have the courage to say, you know what? That is the exclusive message of the gospel. And Paul says, we must have courage. So Cornerstone, don't follow a different gospel, but do follow the gospel courage. What we need more than anything is a group of gospel-centered people with steel spines when it comes to the gospel. That we know the gospel. We can deal with the gospel. We can face it. We can accept it for what it is. A very exclusive message that was given to us by God. It's a history story. And the world may not understand it, but Paul says there's too much people-pleasing. Too much worry about the fear of man. What's somebody going to say if I say to them the gospel? And so churches and individuals, instead of giving the straight gospel, have said, you know, let's just talk about your morality. Let's just be good people. Hey, just come to our, our church and we're going to have just a big pig roast. And you, we will never mention hell. We will never mention sin. And every once in a while we'll toss in Jesus because, hey, everybody loves baby little Jesus. That's not the gospel. That's a curse, the Bible says, will come on those people. We need to be a church that follows the gospel to courage. Because here's what the gospel does. The courage of the gospel gives us unbelievable identity. It says that we are chosen by the God of the universe. That he called us into righteousness. That's who you are. That we are children of God. And when you grasp the courage of the gospel, it is unbelievably freeing. It's unbelievably freeing. Tim Keller gives three reasons of the gospel freedom. Here's what happens as a church and as people of God grasp the freedom of the gospel. The gospel compels us 
It will compel you to share the gospel out of love, not out of guilt. You don't have to beat the people up with the gospel. It just, out of, it just compels you. Paul was compelled to share with this church, don't do that. It frees us from the fear of being ridiculed or hurt by others since we already have the favor of God by grace. Paul says, listen, I have become a servant of Christ. I know who I am. I don't need you to tell me who I am. Paul says, I'm a servant of God. I do what the servant wants me, my master wants me to do. So it doesn't matter what you think or how you feel about me or even if you understand me. I'm a servant of God, and my spine for the gospel is so strong that you can attack me all you want. I just have to answer to my master. And it gives unbelievable courage. It frees us from fear, and there is great humility because anybody we share the gospel to needs it, and we were just like them. It's not us against them. It's us with them saying, here's some news about something that transformed my life, and I love you too much not to share it. I must share this with you. I'm compelled to share you with it. There's nothing I can do, about. I just have to share this. I, lo- I love you. I don't care what you think about me. I don't care if you understand me because I am solid in what the gospel says about who I am so I can share it with you so you can know who you are as well. We need a church of people with spines of steel for the gospel and hearts and hands of servants with the gospel. You know, there's a big myth that Christians and gospel people are not liked by the world. I guarantee you, if we all started talking about it, and I'd say, let's have a discussion after church, we'd be like, yes, Paul, but people hate me. They're always against us Christians. Wah, 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 wah. It is ingrained in our bones that the world is against us. We think that the world is against evangelicals because we spend too much time watching commentators on TV. The truth is, it's not true. Statistically, it's not true. Christianity Today just put out a big article on what does the world think of evangelical Christians, supposed gospel people. You know what? They actually like you. They're not against you. They're not opposed to you. So why all the fear? It's because we are men-pleasers more than we are God-fearing people. We want to be liked by people more than we want to have our master like us. We're more afraid of what people are going to think about us than they are thinking even about us. And the gospel gives us the courage to say, I'm going to be a servant of my master more than I'm going to fear what you think, if you understand me, or how you feel about me. And I can do it out of love because I'm a sinner too. And I want to help you know Jesus. And as we do that, we can feel the acceptance and it will untangle the mess of the gospel. We are servants of our master who delights in us. Jared and Aaron are playing soccer this year for AYSO at Samanac. And I dropped, Teresa dropped Jared off um, last Tuesday for practice and I came later to pick him up and I got there and they were on the other side of the field and I sat in my van and I'm looking over there watching them and He's out there kicking the ball, he's chasing the ball around, and he's just doing great. And I'm thinking, yes, that's my boy. Yes, that's my boy. And then I realized that wasn't my boy. I uh, saw a brown-haired kid with the same red socks as Jared. And then I look over there, and there's my son Jared up against the net trying to fix something, all tangled up. He's not even playing uh, while the rest of the team's out there. 
And I just thought, it's my boy. So I walked over to the field, and I said, hey, buddy, why don't you go keep playing in the game? And he went back out to practice, and he started playing. But the whole time, I delighted in him. I delighted in him when I thought he was a superstar, and I delighted in him when I saw him tangled up. And the hope of the world, the hope of the world is bumbling Christians who are centered on the gospel, sharing the gospel, because we know who we are. We are the people of God who says, I am, you are my son, I delight in you. If nobody likes you, I like you. If nobody understands you, I understand you. So much so that I died for you. We've got to be, make sure we don't get the gospel wrong, and we make sure that we follow the gospel to have courage. God delights in you as the people of God. The hope of the world is us going out, untangling our gospel so it can greatly float, so people can see it and say, yes, I need and I want Jesus because they have Jesus. Do you have courage? Are you afraid? Are you too timid? Ask God this week to help you have courage to stand for the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, I pray that you'd help us as a church to center our lives on the gospel. As we spend the next few months talking about that, seeing what you have to say about that, that you would open our eyes, free us from any legalism or license to sin or anything that would distract us from what is the core of the gospel and how to live it out in our lives daily. God, I pray that you would be with us. We are fearful and easily scared people of others, and we don't have to be. So God, I pray that you would give us steel spines for the gospel, but hearts and hands that will serve for the gospel. Lord, I pray that this week we would say yes to being a servant and look to you alone and not at other people. God, help us to be a people who love Jesus, love your word. Give us your grace. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.